We say. are in the future. Wow. Um, no. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Haley. What's after breakfast? What's before lunch? It's Austin, Texas. It's weird brunch. I got I got everything. Yeah. Hold on, wait. Well, you have... <laughs> like, sometimes a nightmare. <laughs> sometimes jokes are just so funny. Oh, God. This is... Highly <laughs> so. So these are the ones that it comes that's with. A, that's a good one for like um, our subject matter. Probably not the laughing. That's the outro. I have intro, outro. What's yeah. Yeah. I thought Crickets. you said you had a fart noise. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, there's different. Hold on. Wow. Hold on. Wow, can't wait. This is it's nice because you know, when you want a hot key, you wanna have to wait to get to yeah, it. Yeah, I want the build up, the audible build up to it. Lisa's cheating and she's looking at what I'm about right. to do. So I'm fascinated. Oh I have our new ooh, ooh, podcast in our thing. It's in here. the mall, walk okay. and run. Yeah. Um, I got. It. Put that one in mm-hmm. there. This is <laughs> right here. As... <laughs> <laughs> so whenever we see that, we've got it. Um. This is so yeah. That first round was the ones that naturally come with yeah. it, other than the like the, canned the intro and outro. But yeah. these are my own personals. Um, I put in a yeah. Wilhelm. Well, I'm screaming. I put in the sound of a slap or a whip. I Ooh, feel I like- don't think whip noise is good. Squeak, <laughs> 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 well, squeaker. You better have more than one flavor uh, of fart in there. I have good for her. Lucille Bluth ball. 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 No, Lucille, Lucille Bluth. I've got it right. You fucked me up. And then the final one currently. <laughs> That's good. I don't know the context for that one. This is my favorite. <laughs> and it that it's want to listen to the whole song. Is that same? So is the song actually that way, or is do do is the clip I made the edited version? That is the edited version. That's what I thought. What's different? But I like about it better. It. Listen. Right here. Oh, There's no it's shit. Edited. Yeah, no. Yeah, the, it's I edited. had um, chocolate starfish and hot dog flavored water. I remember. I did too. It was one of the one of the first albums I bought. I think with like my own money. I think that's correct. Oh, like a, a Sam Goody gift card, perhaps. I had a burned copy of that album, mm-hmm. probably that I ripped from you. Probably. I remember the first. <laughs> And I did love that shit right there. I did. I really like the cover of Faith that Limp Bizkit made. Honestly, if I had to choose which one to listen to, the George Michael or the Limp Bizkit version, I think I would choose Limp Bizkit. 100%. Yep. Like, they're both good. Yeah. Limp Bizkit is just catchier and you get to scream Faith. Yeah. Instead of... Get the fuck up. Yeah. Mm. Get the fuck up. Anyways. So I was doing this earlier today. See, if I had had it open, I could switch back and forth like pretty easily. Yeah. We just need to have a soundboard operator. We just need somebody ready That's to go. That's right. No. Uh, anyways. We'd hire you to do that and then hire somebody else to be on the air. That's probably. a good call. Yeah. God damn. 
That's a good call. Welcome to Weird Brunch 2024. Uh, I got a new sa- I got a new board, so hopefully this sounds okay. Hopefully we'll be working on it. Improves the um, listening experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's at least a little easier to use than my old as fuck board yeah. that well, we used did, to use. It did a good job. It did. And I kept saying that, and John was like, let's just throw it away. And I was like, let's no, just donate have, it. Like some somebody backup. could find it also. Yeah. Like, and he was like, I don't think anybody would want this. And I'd be I was like, Somebody's gonna want why it. Why not? Like if it plugs in and turns on, whatever. Did y'all donate it? I think it's still in the office. But anyways. The call is coming from inside the house. You also said you had a ghost story. Oh, yeah. What happened? There was a haunting. Um, I went to Wimberley. We rented a house for Fallout Theater owners to go and like, let's. Order treat. Yeah. And, uh. I was in one of the rooms and there was a painting in there that like it was just like a a canvas you would buy and like somebody had clearly just taken I don't know four paints Mm. and they were like this is uh the hills and the sun and it was just like oh no I got too close and now it's it was very childish okay um and I it was sitting on a like dresser and there was something like a little plant in front of it we left to get lunch. We come back. The painting is face down in mm-hmm. front of the dresser. Okay. Which, if it had fallen flat, there would have been it would have just been there. Yeah. Or, yeah, it would have fallen behind it. It fell right in between the bed and the dresser face down. And then I was like, what? The f- like we yeah. nobody was in the house what is this and then I put it back and when I put it back that's when I realized it was sitting behind a plant and I'm like how, how did, did it, it do that so it, we were haunted 100% did you have any scary dreams did y'all sleep there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did I have or unsettling dreams or any notable dreams I don't know I took a sleeping pill on oh so that's what we call ghost (laughs) blockers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah I took a ghost blocker yeah and then I was very tired so I don't could have been but there's no way there wasn't a ghost like at some point oh was it it an an older older house (laughs) my that was my question I asked it first Yes, it was. Mm. It was an older house. It looked a little uh, like murder happens there. Yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this morning, so last night, I did hear a bunch of like kind of strange noises. Like it sounded like somebody was in the hallway outside of the room and just kind of like pacing, touching walls. Like it was it was pacing, but it was also like they were touching walls. And this morning, the other two people that were upstairs were like, man, I heard some weird noises last night. And I was like, wait, that wasn't y'all. Oh, my God. I was like, I heard it, but I wasn't going to Did open you just get off of Airbnb or whatever? Yeah. Did you check the reviews to see if anybody said anything? Or y'all no, but I'm going to. Yeah. Were you the one who rented the house? Yes. Also, okay. one of the windows in one of the bedrooms was like... Uh, just completely it was like one of those like the full pane and it was pushed out and slanted and we didn't realize it until the person that was sleeping in that room woke up the next morning and was freezing cold oh Oh, no no. weird yeah Mm. Mm. wimberly it was a spooky place 
Um, well, yeah. Should we start yeah. telling stories? Mine's short and light. Mine's long nice. and heavy. <sighs> Mine's a medium size. Do we do long to short since we're going to record after this? Everyone prepare to be bummed out. <laughs> All right. Lisa Special. Just southeast of Tyler, Texas, in the heart of East Texas, nestled amidst oil fields and quiet streets, lay the proud new London school. And the site of the worst school disaster in U.S. history and the third deadliest disaster in the history of Texas. Yay. <sighs> Children, child death. In the mid-1930s, despite the Great Depression, the school district in New London, Texas, was one of the richest in the United States. The 1930 discovery of oil in Rusk County had boosted the local economy. The London School was constructed in 1932 on 21 acres of land at a cost of $1 million, which is roughly $21.4 million today. Jesus Christ. They don't spend that kind of money on public schools anymore. Yeah, they do. Is it a public school? Uh, yeah, I believe, yes. Yeah. It was built with red brick and steel beams. The school boasted a modern E-shaped design, a departure from the traditional one-room schoolhouses of the region. So this is like one of the first schools that we know as few grades yeah. yeah well the property actually had all grades but they had a separate building for right. elementary yeah, children like and then yeah mm-hmm. <clears throat> they had large windows in the school um which also weren't normal uh i so expected to learn when you can look out the window i know distracting um, mm-hmm. so lots of natural light there was a spacious auditorium that provided a venue for community events and school performances uh, the school offered a comprehensive curriculum including vocational ca- classes in agriculture home economics and industrial arts preparing students for the changing needs of the oil boom era cool it's like oil prep school that's could be very lucrative to the children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. could be a well-equipped library provided access to knowledge while extracurricular activities like sports and music fostered a vibrant school spirit poverty stricken families who had flooded the area's oil fields during the great depression had been proud to send their children to one of the wealthiest rural school districts in the nation The school was staffed by passionate teachers who believed in the potential of each child. They nurtured not only academic skills, but also character and a sense of community. The school served as the heart of New London community. Its football team played in one of the first stadiums in the state to have electric lights. Money. The London school was built on sloping ground and a large airspace was enclosed beneath the structure. The school board had overridden the original architect's plans for a boiler and steam distribution system, instead opting to install 72 gas heaters throughout the building. That's gonna. That's probably just a footnote that doesn't matter for this story. 100%. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know I don't foreshadow. No. Early in 1937, the school board canceled their natural gas contract and had plumbers install a tap into Parade Gasoline Company's residue gas line to save money. So, okay, like, so to like siphon off gas? Their, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. And this practice was like, not authorized. I was about to say, like, did they get... How planned was this? Or was it just like, hey, you want some free gas, kids? This was something that was kids like super... They do. Mm-hmm. It was, like, super widespread doing this, like, model of of siphoning gas. Mm -hmm. But, obviously, the oil companies were like, 
we don't know about it. That's not okay. We have okay. so much gas, you guys. It's fine. Yeah. The natural gas extracted the oil was considered a waste product and was typically flared off. So when you drive through an oil field and you see those yeah. things on fire, yep. that's what that's they were what using. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no value to the this kind of natural gas. And so the oil companies were just kind of like, mm, whatever. This raw or wet gas varied in quality from day to day. You get that day. sometimes, right, Whitney? Uh, not sometimes, wet gas. just all the time. Yep. Raw gas. Raw. Raw wet gas. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, it varied in quality from day to day, even from hour to hour. Odorless and colorless gas had been leaking and built up inside the enclosed crawl space that ran the length of the main school building's facade. <sighs> On Thursday, March 18th, 1937, first through fourth grade students were let out early. The following day's classes had been canceled to allow students to participate in the interscholastic meet, a scholastic and athletic competition in a neighborhood area. There was a PTA meeting being held in the gymnasium, a separate structure, roughly 100 feet from the main building. Approximately 500 students and 40 teachers were in the main building at the time. At 3.15 or at 3.17 p.m., Lemmy R. Butler, an instructor of manual training, turned on an electric sander. It is believed that the sander switch caused a spark that ignited the gas-air mixture. Jesus Christ. At 3.17 p.m., 13 minutes before the final class was dismissed, the earth shattered. Mm. The walls of the school bulged, the roof lifted from the building and then crashed back down, and the main wing of the structure collapsed. Lockers embedded in the wall were thrown at them by the blast. Others were picked up by the force of the explosion, and the plaster and mortar formed a white haze. The force of the explosion was so great that a two-ton concrete block was thrown clear off the building and crushed a 1936 Chevrolet parked 200 feet away. Fuck. It's It's a big explosion. Yeah. Those who evacuated the building after the explosion were in a state of shock. They did not know what to do next, and the world was deadly silent until the sound came back all at once. Mm -hmm. So they're basically out here... Just deaf and confused. Yeah, debris covered rain- in plaster. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they, you can't see mm-hmm. any like debris rained down entombing classrooms and hallways. The deafening blast reverberated through the town, heard up to four miles away. The most immediate response, obviously, was from the parents at the PTA meeting. Within minutes, area residents started to arrive and began digging through the rubble of twisted metal and smoldering wood, many with their bare hands. Mm-hmm. Mm. Many survivors also joined in the immediate aftermath and recovery of other survivors and victims. Roughnecks from the oil fields were released from their jobs and brought with them cutting torches and heavy equipment needed to clear the concrete and steel. School bus driver Lonnie Barber was transporting elementary schools to their homes and was in sight of the school as it exploded. Barber continued his two-hour ride, returning children to their parents before rushing back to the school to look for his own four children. Oh, God. Four. His son Arden died, but the others were not seriously injured. Mm. Lucky. Yeah. Other school buses were employed to drive survivors who could walk or move back to their homes, causing family members who were waiting at the bus stop to demand information from students disembarking. There's a story 
of one woman who actually ended up becoming the mayor of New London, mm. but she was dropped off at home and there were eight mothers waiting, waiting and there. they were like, where is so-and-so? Where is so-and-so? Mm-hmm. What's yeah. And she was just like, I, I don't know. And her mom like picked her up and carried her away from yeah. her. Right. Yeah. Ugh. Aid poured in from outside the area. Texas governor of the time, James Allred, dispatched Texas Rangers, the Texas Highway Patrol, and the Texas National Guard. 30 doctors, 100 nurses, and 25 embalmers arrived from Dallas. Airmen from Barksdale Field, deputy sheriffs, and even Boy Scouts took part in the rescue and recovery. By nightfall, at least 2,000 workers were tearing apart the site as parents searched for their children. In their desperation to get victims and survivors out of the rubble, many rescuers did not immediately check if the bodies that they were coming across were alive or dead. They were just, just like, pulling. this is a body of you growing over here. Like yeah. they were lining them up in different places. And after nightfall, martial law was declared in a five mile area around the school and only doctors, nurses, peace officers, rescue workers, newsmen, and relatives of trapped children were allowed near the area that was now lit up with floodlights. Rescuers worked through the night and rain and 17 hours later, the entire site had been cleared. Wow. Whoa. I mean, that is like a full-on community effort, just hearing what you said. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's wild. I also want to double-check that data point mm. of 17 hours, but... Like, 17 hours from explosion or, like, 17 hours from when the governor sent people or... Yeah, or is it even hours? Yeah. You know, buildings in the neighboring communities were converted into makeshift first aid tents and morgues, and everything from family cars to delivery trucks served as hearses and ambulances. A new hospital in Tyler was scheduled to open the next day, but the dedication was canceled and the hospital opened immediately. Yeah. Reporters who arrived in New London found themselves swept up in the rescue effort. Like they would show up and be like, hey, we're a reporter. And they'd be like, we don't need that. Get your hands in the dirt. Grab a towel. 20-year-old Walter Cronkite also found himself in New London on one of his first assignments for the United Press International. Although Cronkite went on to cover World War II and the Nuremberg trials, he was quoted saying, I did nothing in my studies nor in my life to prepare me for a story of the magnitude of the New London tragedy, nor has any story since that awful day equaled it. The number of people estimated killed in the explosion is 294. Wow. Actual number is unknown, but that's the number that Mm -hmm. I saw everywhere. Of the deceased, the majority were from grades 5 through 11, as the younger students had been dismissed mm-hmm. from school. Many victims had to be identified by clothing or personal <sighs> items. The surviving gymnasium was quickly converted into multiple classrooms. Inside tents and modified buildings, classes resumed 10 days later, with the 30 surviving seniors completing the school year in the gymnasium. Oh, that's bleak. I feel like it's just like you graduated. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, you 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 made you it. Made you're it. Fine. The children of Mexican immigrants who had come to work in the oil fields, only grudgingly allowed to enroll in the school, simply disappeared. Their grieving families loaded up belongings and headed back home because at that point they're like, "We're illegal. We're not supposed to be here." And also, this is right. why would I want to be yeah. here? A new school was completed on the property in 1939, directly behind the location of the destroyed building. A lawsuit was brought against the school district and the Parade Gasoline Company, 
But the court ruled that neither could be held responsible, stating that no one could have known that the odorless gas had been accumulating. So this is before they started putting the what what is it, some kind of chemical odor the smell because it was yes yeah. mm-hmm. superintendent wc shaw was forced to resign amid talk of a lynching oh i would have just killed myself he had, yeah, yeah i think i, I would have killed myself he ended up having like a full nervous breakdown and like obviously he quit and then yeah. left town so amid talk of a lynching he had also lost a son a niece and a nephew yeah it's not in the explosion right. but the thing is it's like it's not his fault obviously like what they were doing the guess is like common practice you yeah. don't even think about it but somebody has to blame and you right you're find at the, the top and yeah yeah eleanor roosevelt sent a telegram to express her th- sympathy and adolf hitler who was oh, the leader yeah. of the nazi germany of at the course. time paid his respects in the form of a telegram a copy of which is on display at the new london museum so we don't need to keep the, i don't think we need to keep i don't that think we line. do what year was it again uh 1937 texas monthly went through and like interviewed a lot of the survivors yeah, recently some, some of them would still be alive yeah and one of at least one of them was like i thought hitler was bombing us like she thought and then he said anyway weird, weird hitler tie over the years the new london school explosion received surprisingly little attention explanations are for this are speculative but most center around the residents unwillingness to discuss the tragedy yeah. few spoke of the grim incident until 1977 when a reunion broke the four decade long silence lv barber said of his father lonnie the bus driver i can remember newspaper people coming around every now and then asking him questions about that day but he never had much to say a former student mentioned in 2007, people were afraid to talk about it. Almost no family in this community was unaffected. And whether people would tell us about the explosion, it would be sort of in whispers and don't say anything in front of so-and-so because they lost a sister. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Man, that wasn't that long. It, it wasn't. wasn't. It what was- article, I assume that was from Texas a text monthly. monthly article who wrote it. So it's actually from... Um, I was just randomly searching and found it and i was like how have i not heard about yeah, this? yeah me too and then i most of that's from the wikipedia but a lot of what's in the wikipedia is from that article mm-hmm. from texas monthly and then i found that and it's from 2007 so i have so it's no like old yeah idea but they had interviewed a, a ton of survivors and mm-hmm. they have like it gutting yeah it's just gutting yeah like there was one girl who had gone out to her car to like sleep through last period and woke up with a boulder right but she survived you know like yeah i just don't skip school yeah bad shit happens at school there there was one guy that was like i had a bad feeling and i asked my mom if i could stay home and she didn't let me and i'm like this is yeah do that yeah i have a bad feeling every day i also did not want to go to school most of the time that's just being a i mean really anything that involves being out of bed or outside of my house it's like oh i had a bad feeling yeah but building disasters yeah that's tragic 
and awful. And I am also surprised I never heard of it. Yeah. But it does make sense that people would never, ever, ever want to talk about, about it because it. Yeah. it is it's terrible. Awful. God awful. And I the two like- disasters in Texas that were bigger than that were one, number one, is the 1900 storm yeah. in Galveston. Yep. Mm-hmm. Number two, it happened 10 years later in Texas City when there was a vessel that was, you know, it's all the cargo and like, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. And there was some vessel that their cargo blew up and then it was like chain reaction throughout the Oof. whole bay. Well, Just like blowing stuff well, up. You know, you know, we need less regulation. <laughs> That's right. Less <laughs> regulation. You know, if we didn't have to have roofs, gas would have never collected. True. You Good what? point. What if we just had like cool nets? <laughs> you know, like it'll catch the big What's stuff. What's an open net school? Yeah. God. Monastery. Do you want me to go next? Since uh, you know, we're going from big middle, only little. a handful of dead children. Right here. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the Wendell family of New York City? No, but I knew Most, some Wendells. I know. I, I had a Wendell, Wendell down I think the street from all, here. So we've all known last Wendells. name of last name of Wendell. Um, I knew a first name Wendell too. You know a Wendell Wendell? I know <laughs> Wendell, Wendell Square. Wendell? Wendell. I'm with that person's parents have to hate him. What did you I say that's really called? Their last name, Wendell Squared. No, when your name fucks you up. Nominative determinism. Nominative determinism. Oh my God. What TikTok is like that? It on? It's an you. NPR thing that I listened to years oh. ago that was very impactful to me. Interesting. So this isn't it. Um, Johann Gottlieb Wendell began his career as a fur merchant with a merchant, <laughs> a merchant uh, in New York, a million bajillion years ago in the 1800s. Right? Who's his partner? None other than John Jacob Astor. Oh, I thought you were going to say John Jacob Jinglehammer Schmidt. Schmidt. His name's my name my is name it yours too yeah. that's crazy <laughs> wow but it is like highlander so the next time yeah. i see him i have to kill have him, to kill him. Yeah. that makes sense so john jacob astor astor a very well-known name in new york especially if you're watching the gilded age mm-hmm. with lady astor being a bitch she a big old bitch she is so I like it i always get that confused with brigadoon mom brigadoon (laughs) aka bridgerton but brigadoon in mom's world wendell and astor they're friends they have the same kind of vision when it comes to buying up land Mm. in new york which they're capitalists damn yeah do i wish my family had had that insight or foresight i guess is the word i meant to say they would also need some insight to have that foresight yeah or even if they had done it in Austin. They would have done anything. So can you imagine hold on. Can you imagine a Gilded Age mansion in Austin? Yes, I can. It's just the dress they have a few. They do. The teachers building on the League of Women Voters mm-hmm. building. They have like ballrooms and shit yeah. in there. Yeah. You can do um they the little field house there. Mm-hmm. So Aster and Wendell, they they're buying up shit. Johan marries a woman named elizabeth they have one child john d wendell who takes over the real estate business after uh johan passes away elizabeth his mom dies in 1846 so that's the time frame we're in now but by that point they had 
a shitload of Manhattan real estate. They were winning Monopoly. They were That's really winning generational wealth. John Wendell marries a woman named Marianne. They have seven children. Six of them are girls, and they got one boy. Rebecca, Augusta, Josephine, Henrietta, Georgiana, Mary, and Ella. You could tell me that those were all of our cousins' children's names, and, and I would believe you. You would probably be I'd right on you. a few of them. And one son named John Gottlieb Wendell II after his grandfather. They have this immense wealth, but they are notoriously frugal, but not like crazy, crazy frugal, at least not yet. They have a mansion on Fifth Avenue in the corner of 39th. It's completed in 1856. They most commonly refer to their mansion as, I think, Fifth Fifth or Five, Fifth Avenue, whatever. They didn't call it home? They did not call it home because they had two homes that they, Mm. you know, they were the... They had their winter winter and summer houses. It was an up-to-date Anglo-Italianate house. Italianate house on a rusticated brownstone base. Three stories, French doors, very uh, of the time, Mm -hmm. 1856. And Wendell, the dad currently he doesn't like to spend money but he is still the family is still living that they victorian wealth lifestyle absolutely like, like yes you can be frugal but he's not about it's to be like to, i still am rich yeah, like, let's not get this yeah. wrong um they had seven ser- servants in their 20 room house in march 1860 the new york times said that mr john d Wendell and his family all went to paris and came back Their summer estate was in Irvington on the Hudson. September 1876, the Wendell's eldest daughter, Henrietta, dies of diphtheria. The funeral is held the following day. And then a month later, John Wendell, the dad, passes away also at their summer estate. Also diphtheria? No, I think he might have just been old. Yeah. I'm not sure. It doesn't say what he died of. He had an heir. He died. Yes, he had, he's still got his son, mm-hmm. the one son who is the most important one in that For time. For reasons. And then six other, dumb, dumb five women. other dumb, dumb women yeah. who even wants them. Thank God. Blessed be yeah. a rich, dumb woman. I <laughs> could only hope. Wouldn't you love to be it? God, I really would do anything. Yeah. <sighs> We really made a mistake getting the right to vote. Uh, um, so Mary, the mom is still alive. Mary and her six surviving children who are all unmarried. Are they like teenagers? Do we kind of know the vague ages of these uh, folks? So we will. Okay. So the children, I, I yeah, like teens to 20s yeah. ish yeah. right now. or And there's some really young ones yeah. too. Mary and her six children continue to live on Fifth Avenue because of her husband and I mean the family in general's uh, tendency to frugality the house that was built in 1856 has never really had any modern upgrades so it's about 20 years dated right now because it's 1876 when those two people passed away the dad in 1893 so jumping ahead of almost 40 years the neighbor around that Fifth Avenue house is rapidly becoming commercialized. And 
the grandpa now, uh, him and Mr. Astor always kind of predicted that that would happen because he sick, he stuck to this. He had a certain amount of rules. Hold on. These are the rules of living that in the they, house? that the whole family operates by when it comes to their wealth, Money. basically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and their properties because right. they're okay. But put your hand up. And Never we... mortgage a property. I've already done that. Never sell anything. Like always own the property. Okay. Never I, sell I it. Only have the one. So yeah. Never pay for repairs. I've done that. Yeah. It's up to the tenant or the person renting Damn. The, the property yeah, to do. That's dirty. I'm Never I'm forget almost... that Broadway that one, no, no. moves uptown at a rate of 10 blocks a decade. So that's the idea that New yeah. York is going to continue every 10 years. The center will be 10 blocks yeah. and more like far away. Four is downtown now. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I so, did not know that about Broadway. So I'm taking one off for myself. So those, those are the, the rules that okay. they, they kind of live by. So they're not selling any of their property ever. No, they'll lease it, but they're not mortgaging it. Like I guess yeah. leveraging it to borrow against. Yep. Right. Yep. So them's the rules. The neighborhood around them is becoming rapidly commercialized. The city at some point also are searching for a new location for that's further uptown, which is what it used to be, uh, in hopes of getting the west corner of 39th, where John D. Wendell lives on 39th and 5th. And right next to it, they have a, quote, vacant lot that the family also knows. But the site committee would have to keep looking because they refused to sell this vacant lot because it was the Wendell's garden and arguably the only place that they could take their dog out to go to the bathroom. So that's what these people, like the city would have paid them out the ass to buy this piece of property, Mm -hmm. but they're like, fuck you. That's where my dog sheds. Yeah. What am I, what is my dog going to shit on? $10 million. We do not sell our property. Mary Wendell, the mom dies in 1894, leaving everything to, well, it doesn't all go to John Wendell the second. The girls do have some stuff in the will that's like, okay, each one of you. So each of the girls received $340,000 in stock. John inherited the bulk of the $10 million estate, which was 1894 money, like a billion dollars or whatever. They said even before that, John's personal wealth was already estimated at 1.5 million and his annual income was 75,000 a year, which would make his daily income equivalent to about $7,500 a day in today's money. And that was just him on his own. Yeah. So they got the money. That made me want to throw up. Yeah. And now John the second is the patriarch of the family of, so it's him and his five sisters. And he was not chill about being the patriarch of the family. He was so convinced that people, because he was the only boy that everyone who was ever interested in any of the sisters were just coming for his money which i mean to be fair yeah probably for some of it wasn't the dad like that the dad was a little but not as crazy as he doesn't have the the weight of because he was all on me i wouldn't say that he was self-made well and the dad 
the dad had had six kids. Like he yeah. got married, he created heirs. Yeah. And John Jr. basically is just like, no. And he won't anything, marry anybody or he's no, not he's it. fucking. He like so before he be fucking. He did. So before like he was, you know, in his twenties or whatever, got out of high school. His parents sent him to Europe to go get further educated. He loved it over there. He was having a great fucking time. He was gone for like 10 years, partying, doing European stuff, learning stuff. He was like a polyglot, like yep. he's smart. And they're like, uh, yo, we get that you love partying in Europe, but you're the only male heir. You have to come back. And basically we need to show you how we run our real estate business, but also like you're the one. Yep. And so he kind of begrudgingly comes back. And I think he resented the fact that he had to do that. And now, you know, when his parents do pass away, he has these five women who he sees as almost liabilities. Yeah, more like a liability, like, oh, they'll dilute our wealth. Mm. So he refuses to allow any of them to marry. And he's kind of putting himself under the same restrictions also. Like he had a ongoing relationship with one of their maids named Martha and he knocked her up multiple times and she paid for abortions every single mm. time. Um, and he also dated another like wealthy family heiress and like they dated for a long time and her parents were finally like, this guy fucking sucks. We're yeah. sending you away. You go marry somebody else. Mm. He's never going to do it. Um, and they know about Martha's abortions because apparently she wrote in her journal and said like everything all the time. Yeah. So, Damn, but he was paying Martha and her family. Like I thought you just get like a receipt. Basically. Yeah. Here you go. So John the second taught them that they must not marry or dissipate their stewardship, stewardship and that publicity was demeaning. So, they're not allowed to get married or do anything fun and being in the public eye, even though they're like wealthy, so should be wealthy socialites is demeaning. Like in what part of your worth is social currency though? Not to the Wendells at this point okay, in time, maybe back when grandpa it. was with the Astors and even when the dad was partying a little bit, mm -hmm. but now that it's down to just John the second. He's just insecure. They're not doing it. How he was, tall was he? I don't know. I think he was. We got to get to the bottom I of bet that. He was, I bet he was 5'7". He was also something of a paranoid, quote, fearful that disease could enter his body through his feet. He stomped around in custom made mutant form of platform <laughs> shoes. They're like inch. Frankenstein? Yeah. They're, no, he was wearing heels oh and he said he was afraid. Yep. yep. Inch thick gutta percha soles um, that also extended by fenders reaching a full inch around in either Stop. direction. That's, you wear moon boots. That's yeah. terrible. Gutta percha is the, it's from a tree, but it's what they fill your teeth in. Like a with. rubber? Yeah. So it's kind of like a weird rubbery thing. There's a paranoid wealthy man running around New York with his Not running shoes? around New York, running around inside his house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he did go do more stuff than yeah. the girls. These are my house boots. If his <laughs> mom had 
been modern at all. It all came to an end when John inherited that. The mansion becomes a time capsule. Furnishings were never updated. So this is still basically 1856. Now it's the turn of the century. Um, His sister's wardrobes also never updated. They pretty quickly grow out of style. All they would do was mend and remend as necessary. Modern conveniences like electricity and phones weren't allowed. Luckily, indoor plumbing had been installed early on in the history of the house. So back in the 1850s when the dad was still around and the mom to be like, oh, cool. I thought New they all just, indoor plumbing. We're getting it. It'd be it. way funnier if they like use the excuse of not selling that property because they didn't, they need somewhere for their dogs to go to the bathroom. But really they were just shitting in the yard. I mean, I would love that. They did take a lot of outdoor showers also. Yeah. He said it was his lack of confidence in the police at one point that caused him not to report a robbery in the mansion. The family closed their house in Irving in 1894 after the mom died, I guess. Um, And he left a guy named Samuel McKinney to watch over it. And when they came back to it, the house was all locked up. McKinney had disappeared and a quantity of cash and bonds had vanished. The only reason anybody ever found out about it is because McKinney ended up beating his wife and his wife went and told the cops that Mm. he had stolen all this stuff. And it's like, good. January, 1899. At this point, Georgiana is 47 years old. She's sick of it. She's one who had kind of been out on her own and a few times, you know, she still had friends, like people gradually stopped kind of calling on them because they never did anything or went out and were obviously like poor, like not keeping up with the Joneses. You have a new group of friends that, and you're like, hey, my friend Georgina's coming over and she doesn't really get out very often. So you can be nicer. And she walks in and she's wearing a full Victorian, like, well, that time is our Victorian, but like, Somebody walks into this and they're, yeah, just they're like crazy. sallow because they're never outside. Yeah. So Georgiana really resented him and they did not get along at all. And so she is, decides she's going to go to the Park Avenue Hotel and she would do this pretty frequently. Like apparently him and one of the sisters, Becky, were like the mean girls and Georgiana was like, I'm not having any of this. And yeah. she would go stay wherever. How old? Were they around this time? He's in his like 50s. Georgiana's 47. Okay. In 1899, Georgiana's 47. Got it. She's trying to break free. She goes to the Park Avenue Hotel to try and hide her tracks. She checks out on a Sunday, but keeps the key and then returns quietly later without the hotel staff. But like the next day they rented the room and people went in and were like, um, hello. Do you know how hotel rooms work? Yeah. So because of this, she, he kind of like banishes her to their Irving house where she was effectively held prisoner, but she was pissed and she kept riding with her two friends, Miss Mac, Miss Mary Mac, mm-hmm. um, and Miss Sullivan and obtained a writ of habeas corpus to have Georgiana appear in court to be examined as to her medical condition. <gasps> no. She doesn't show up. They tried to 5150 Mrs. her? Mrs. Sullivan mm-hmm. and Miss Mack had visited the Irvington house 
and the people who I guess were staying there also would not let them inside. So Georgiana's like yelling down to them and she's like, I'm fucking sane. I'm trapped here basically. Please help me still. I that's this is why I couldn't make it to this appearance yep. at court. The attorneys of John Jr. stated that Georgiana is quote incompetent to measure herself and affairs by reason or of loss of memory and understanding. Judge Smith is like, fuck you. And he sees no reason why she shouldn't have just at least been brought to court. He doesn't care. Bring her in. We're going to determine that. Like that's the whole fucking reason. Yeah. So the judge orders her to be pronounced again the next day. She doesn't show up. Judge sends the court to the Irving house or Irvington house. And the times reported quote, she declared that she was restrained of her Liberty by her brother, John Wendell, who wanted to get her money. But when Wendell testified that he had not seen his sister for nearly two years, Georgiana was deemed undoubtedly suffering from delusional insanity Crazy because women yep mm. as this is all going on john is just still getting weirder and weirder he builds like a big wall around their house because he thinks that the neighbors are yeah, trying he's, to he's see in bananas. but it's also like the city's building up around you like everyone can see in because you're also in this old house that's never been updated you're and shitting shit's in the yard high and you're shitting in the yard georgiana in 1901 managed to get the verdict of insanity turned over on the grounds of irregularity. In September 1901, she sues her brother, claiming that he had not distributed their father's estate in accordance with the will, and she wanted her rightful share. And she escapes to Europe, and she lives there until 1907, so six six years, years. And she's finally convinced to come back home. Um, the New York Times reported that a reconciliation was affected and Miss Georgiana returned willfully to the family. I, I bet she was financially that. coerced. I don't think yeah, that she actually really probably went back. The family's bizarre anachronistic lifestyle is you know, people are like they're they're starting to call them the weird Wendells because that's an accurate they're being weirdos. Yeah. And um, who doesn't love alliteration? Yeah. Yeah. The former garden, a.k.a. vacant lot, is now just, like, neglected and barren. Um, They also, at their height, had 150 properties in Manhattan, New York area. It's not just, I keep saying that, but that's just because that's where they live. They own But they're leasing so, 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 so much And that's where most of their money comes from, right? Land in that neighborhood was worth more than $10,000 a foot. At the time, um, God knows what it is now. Brokers are like, we'll pay you $600,000 for this lot. And still they're like, no, we need it for Toby because Emma had a series of dogs. She loved animals. Emma's the youngest daughter. I mean, youngest, she's like in her forties. Yeah. She had a, a, it was a poodle, but she always had poodles and they were always named Toby smart never forget yeah one (laughs) dies you bury him she also spent a bunch of money buying headstones that's like what she for their like pet cemetery oh my god it was like toby one toby two it was just all say toby (laughs) these are my because of his aversion to automobiles and other modern improvements john also becomes known as the hermit of fifth avenue 
In April 1912, Rebecca Wendell became the only sister to successfully break free, despite her brother's violent opposition. So 1912, Rebecca Wendell is like in her 60s, but she marries a clergyman and uh, she takes like her part of her inheritance and they go and live somewhere else, but they don't produce any heirs because she was in her 60s. Did he get cancer really quick? I know, right? Come on, Gilded Age. Ella, Georgiana, Mary, and Josephine continued to live in the house in the antiquated mansion, obeying John's rules. The sisters dressed in styles of many years ago, lived frugally and simply, and persisted in hanging the family washing in the backyard in defiance of neighbors' protests. They never rode in a streetcar, and never in their lives had they ever been in an automobile. They never shopped in the fashionable district. Everything was too expensive. They buy all their groceries and supplies at inexpensive little shops on 6th Avenue, and they wouldn't even have the groceries delivered to their house, which was also common for the wealthy people at the time. They do curbside. They are quick to see bargains and watch, and watch for them like the poorest housewives was one of the quotes. Josephine dies in 1914. Her estate goes to the siblings. That's basically what happens. As one and one dies off, it just goes to the rest it's of the siblings. Where else is it going to go? Yeah. John dies a few months later in 1914 and leaves an estate valued at $55 million. That goes back to the surviving sisters and makes Mary the financial executive for the three remaining. Someone described the Wendell sisters living post John because they just stayed there. Like, what are they going to do? They're also in their 60s now. Yeah. Like, I would gonna go move? insane. I would. I mean, I would, those women, though. I don't know. Why not? Right. One of them did. I feel insane. like Georgina she could. She's still alive. Today? But, no. <laughs> and here she is. And here's Georgina. Um, in the winter, only the first two floors of the house and were um, habitable because the old furnace that they never updated wouldn't carry heat above the second floor. Oh, my God. The side yard the heat rises, so. still is just the lot where they take Toby out to go doo-doo. The shitter. The shitter. With them are two old women servants, and the five old women live curiously oblivious to the New York of the moment. The riot of fashion, extravagance, joy, mirth, sin, crime, pride, ambition, which flows past them on the avenue, constantly seems to not have affected them at all. The aging women rarely have visitors and self-isolate, but it's also said that like they didn't really even like each other. So they were basically living solo lives in the presence of their sisters. Oh God, this is bleak. Yeah. In October, 1922, Mary Wendell dies at the Irvington house and her 15 million rolls back in. Ella and Georgiana are the last two left. Their lawyers said they simply wish to live alone with their servants in their old home surroundings and they live just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. In 1929, Georgiana gets the flu that develops into pneumonia. She dies on the 18th of January, 1929. She's 79 years old. Damn. Her death is only discovered because her sister is like, I'm filing for administration of her estate. They had already like buried her wherever. Next to Toby. Next to Toby. Toby, Toby, yeah, like 100. Developers were disheartened when it was announced that Miss Ella Wendell 
still Miss Ella Wendell, an elderly woman worth many millions will live alone with the old family servants and carry on the traditions of the family in the old rusty brick mansion at 39th and 5th on July 20th, 1930. Rebecca dies. That was the one who was living with the the clergyman she married and her shit doesn't go to the guy. It rolls back to Ella. I don't know if the guy had died or whatever. She very well may have been, but Ella is her. So it's all on Ella now. And Ella is fucking 80 years old. Uh, So Ella ends up dying eight months after Rebecca's death. 78 year old Ella suffers a stroke and she died a few weeks later, March 1931. Her massive estate had made the equivalent, made her the equivalent of a billionaire today. The real estate accumulated in the name of Wendell is now valued at more than $100,000. This is at the time in 1931. In accordance with Wendell's distaste for publicity, there was no like funeral march or anything like that. Anyways, so what happened to the estate? A lot of people tried like thousands of Germans because they were from their dad was from German Mm -hmm. grandpa was from Germany Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of Wendell's over there Mm -hmm. Um, they didn't do anything to try to establish like airship even like cousin no they wanted all of it like I guess I don't know if Ella was like I'm just donating all of it so they had like a bunch of charities that ended up getting the money tons of people tried to claim that they were illegitimate children or whatever I'm sure some of them were a couple yeah Yeah. right there wasn't DNA at the time yeah thousands of people claiming to be related to Ella or them the Wendells in some way none of it really panned out basically all their stuff was sold off and given to charity which probably would have bummed out i think the male wendells yeah well the the grant the eldest wendell the originator wendell did not enforce any idea of make sure you have heirs like that that right. should have been the fourth one yeah it yeah, should have been in be the rules but yeah that's those are the wendells that's kind of a taking from two articles the new york times did an article about it in 1919 2016 and they were trying to find people who knew like had heard of the wendell family Mm -hmm. and they talked to none other than douglas durst oh real estate i mean but it's not fred Durst, Durst. not fred durst no robert durst is not robert fred durst though Right. Him in the yard. Uh, yeah. Um, Douglas, though. <laughs> yeah. This shit right here. Yeah. I'm imagining a human pooping like a dog. Yeah. 100%. They're squatting. Just just like in a ball. And, and looking, looking up at, at their sisters. Yes. That's save me. <laughs> but yeah, they talk to Douglas Durst. That, I, Douglas is like the patriarch of their family they're mm-hmm. the one that's the one that robert hated so mm-hmm. much yeah. and he said i remember my father telling me about them his father said this it was very hard to do business with them because they basically didn't have a telephone um so yeah those are the weird windles of new york and i just i get i get really offended when rich people don't spend their money the way rich people should i saw a tiktok the other day and it was somebody basically saying, you know who's a rich person who does everything a rich person should do? Trisha Paytas. Yeah. Because she does whatever the fuck she wants and she makes money. She she recreated the entire um, My Chemical Romance music video that was like a play on um, storming the beaches of Normandy. 
Mm. Oh yeah, she did, mm-hmm. and she did it just a, a shot for shot remake with her as the Gerard. Gerard way, and it cost her like like a hundred thousand dollars. She like cause she worth want, it for no. She all funded by her just because she wanted to do it. Yeah, that is way better than mm-hmm. sitting in old yeah, dresses in a big like, house without good lighting. Just so old and like I don't know, ghostly. Whatever. I don't. Yeah. It's a, I blame John the second for fucking it all up. I blame the dad because obviously he didn't. Right. He gave him three prime directives the, the, and they were it not. It was already really weird. Like before he died, that yeah. none of his daughters had been married off. Yeah. Like that's Especially, really when you say that some weird. of them were in their early twenties. It's like yeah. that's when you gotta. Yeah, you're late. Oh, yeah. You send a gun At to the convent. Point. Yeah. And you, get, you know. Well. If I had that much money, I'd be Trisha Paytasing it. Yeah. I would not be no. windling well, it. Well, yeah. you'd never see me like again, but in a fun way because I'd, I'd be everywhere. But my money Crazy. would be back into the economy. Yep. Yeah, be spending that it's good shit. For the economy. It's good for the economy. Buy shit. Hell Don't yeah. go to school this and buy is shit. Capitalism. We're all subjugated to it, so try to make the best you can yep. out of it. Yep. All right. Mine's a short, short cutie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barbara Ernie's origins trace her birth back to 1743 to homeless parents in Austria, um, situated along the border between Switzerland and Liechtenstein, closer to Liechtenstein. Raised in poverty, the specifics of her childhood remain mostly obscured by time. However, growing up in, um, in destitution lightly subjected her life to a hard life on the streets, potentially involving early encounters with theft and deception. At 36, she entered the historical records because she got married to a man named Franz. I do not know if that is first or last name, who was also a notorious figure in the region for his criminal history, unspecified criminal history. Um, My it, favorite kind I of know. criminal mm-hmm. history. He's just, you know, an, uh, you know, Lichtensteinian criminal. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those. He just does some stuff. Light, like varying crimes. Yeah. It is unconfirmed, but likely that Barbara developed new criminal skills due to this relationship. But it was also around this time that Ernie, Barbara Ernie, began to know, be noticed due to her distinct physical attributes, including her reddish strawberry blonde hair and her robust build that her big old titties mm-hmm. big and strong and titty and hair yep i bet she had a good ass too I, they didn't pay attention to that as much this i know that's why I, as yeah. well um this earned her the local moniker the golden booze and a couple nobody ever says what booze means how is booze spelled? b-o-o-s and okay. i looked it up and from what i can tell that in like old maybe even medieval like Hochdeutsch like high German it might mean devil which would make sense for this telling golden devil Mm. um it also might mean tree which if she's a big woman tree it doesn't mean boobs no it can if you want to sounds like boobs. yeah golden boobs okay so (laughs) Barbara wasn't just your regular strawberry blonde thick German woman or Lichtensteinian woman um, no, she was a prolific thief with an unusual but effective gimmick. She would travel throughout Germany, Austria, and other Bavarian countries to different inns and hotels. With her, she would be carrying a conspicuously um, capacious bag. By that, I mean a large chest or um, some type of backpack or satchel that she would lug on her own into these establishments. She would insist to the innkeeper that 
it was okay. She needed just a room for the night, but this bag has all of her money and all of her treasures in it. And it absolutely has to go in the most secure room in this building. She doesn't care where she's put, but this bag absolutely oh, this has is, to be secured somewhere. This is a good grift. And so they see this hot woman, big old titties, very strong, carrying a big bag. Her ludicrously capacious bag. bag. Yes. And they say, okay, I shall take it. You're not asking for too much. Cause we're not, you're not trying to stay in the room. You just need somewhere to store it. We can do that. She, they would gain the, she would gain the innkeeper's trust and then she'd secure a place for her luggage often um, in these inns where valuables were already being stored already. Mm-hmm. As night fell and the inn closed, the true twist emerged. Hidden within the chest was an unseen partner. <gasps> That's yes! not what I thought. She had a little secret man. Oh my God. Yes. Under cover of darkness, this mysterious accomplice who was probably a person with dwarfism or maybe a child Oh, I wanted it to be a monkey. No. <laughs> a little tiny monkey. No, it was probably a person with dwarfism. Again, maybe a child. They don't, whatever. Maybe a monkey. Maybe. I, I doubt. I think maybe that that would make monkey. it more whimsical and they probably would have mentioned that. So the the person hiding in this sat the bag or the trunk would then steal everything in the room and then the two would swiftly abscond with all of the valuables. The next morning, the innkeeper would awakened to two empty rooms and having been robbed of all their treasures, sometimes with an empty bag or chest left behind, but sometimes not, which I think is kind of a rub. Mm-hmm. Like if you're like, I'm even going to take the chest with me too. Right? right. So after nearly 15 years of successful bu- burglaries, Barbara Ernie's luck ran out when she and her accomplice were apprehended in Liechtenstein in May, 1784, where she admitted to 17 thefts using her notorious trunk trick during her trial, which is like, that area that she is small, right? So you would think innkeepers would maybe be like, hey, look for a hot chick who yeah. can carry a treasure filled chest yeah, by herself. Yeah, there's many of that. No. I also think that that's embarrassing. <laughs> so how many just didn't report it? Yeah. Because they were like, wow, I'm an idiot. Barbara admitted to it. And on her trial, she was obviously convicted because she pled guilty. Barbara hoped for clemency in a country, Liechtenstein, known for their high standards of living, perhaps thinking that Liechtenstein was more progressive and advanced um, than to deliver like harsh, archaic punishments for nonviolent crime. However, the court sentenced her to death by beheading. No! December 7th, 1784. Dramatic. I know. It's the 1700s. I don't, what else do they have going on? Woman who can do things. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Yeah. God forbid. Yeah. God forbid a woman does something. I know. You'll get your head cut off. It's, I mean, it's sexist and it's ableist because of her partner. Like, either way. That's true. Her public execution was witnessed by a thousand specs, about a thousand spectators, where Barbara Ernie became the final person ever executed in Liechtenstein before the nation eventually abolished the death penalty in 1987. So they had their last execution in 1784. And they were like, 200 Let's just years not later do that anymore, yeah. but also like did we ever write that down and somebody's like oh, right. not write that down i forgot about the big-titted redhead bitch that we beheaded yeah damn anyways so a bunch it would have been you it would have been it would have been you how can, can you carry what how, how much can you like lift do you think i mean like if i was lifting things regularly i'm sure i could lift a lot yeah but I Especially don't. If it was I'm very like wafy right now. Gotcha. I think we can get build you up to Remember, little person. We all decided we'd we'd be in the fields. We'd be in the fields. Yeah, one hundred percent. I don't think you fields. voted on that one, but okay. And then finally, working instead of being, we're not wasting children. Yeah, we're not wasting. 
I'm um, dead. <laughs> she just checks out just as where early I'm as at. possible. Okay. And then the name and fate of her short statured accomplice to this day is shrouded in mystery. Dang, who was he? We don't know. We don't know. So that that's the, sh- the short story. And then I was thinking, I was like, that's a pretty good thing. Like, mm-hmm. if you can figure out how to do that, that's a pretty yeah. good way to steal. And that made me think of like Ocean's Eleven, where they have that exact They do have a guy line. in a box. Yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of like, has there been other, like that same thing, mm-hmm. like a Trojan horse kind of stealing kind of thing happen. And I couldn't find anything except um, most recently in the early 2010s, warnings had been issued to tourists in Spain regarding a thieving technique known as Trojan horse robbery this method involved a contortionist hiding inside luggage in the cargo hold of buses sneaking out during the journey to pilfer valuables from other passengers this tactic often carried out with an accomplice had been increasingly observed in spain as of late Hmm. in one instance in 2011 two polish um, contortionists were apprehended in Catalonia for repeatedly executing this scheme on a bus route from uh, Girona Airport to Barcelona. The contortionists would slip out of their luggage, steal things like laptops, GPS devices, jewelry, stole them in a smaller bag, and return to their larger suitcase. So they would get back in their suitcase, and then when the bus like landed, bus stopped, then mm-hmm. the accomplice would roll them back out, and they would have all of the. You just can't trust people that are that flexible. No, like, they are not trustworthy. You know, the only thing that keeps you like, you know, your your stature about yourself is mm-hmm. um, honesty. Yeah. If you don't have any honesty, you have you're, you're very flexible. You're all cartilage. Yeah. yeah. You're, um, all, you're a little jellyfish. Yeah. You're like a inflatable balloon. You're guy. no. You're no bones boy. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> you're no bones boy. I don't need no bone. <laughs> um, there was another arrest involving a five foot ten contortionist who successfully conducted similar thefts by slipping out of a suitcase during a bus journey between a couple other places. Da, no, da, da, da. no, I'm 5'11". No, I'm 5'10", 5'11". No. You got all your bones, tall. though. Yeah, you do have most of your bones. I gotta yeah. start lying more. So th- there seemed to be a rash of this in like the early 2010s. I didn't see a lot of other reports of it. But yeah, so the and the thing is, they ha- they when they say like luggage, they mean like rolling luggage, carry on mm-hmm. rolling luggage. Yeah, no, if you're five, you cannot. I don't believe that. Yeah, I don't believe that person's five ten. Also, reading about like bus journeys in Europe reminds me how buses are viewed differently in the United States versus like Europe. Yeah, because like bus is like degeneracy. Like if you're on a cross-country bus like it right. there's a very you're specific, with the dregs yeah you're like not allowed to fly in america in america right? yeah. but in europe taking buses it's very common like i wish it was common here and be very nice i know well it's we don't set ourselves up no, for that we don't um and then so most of the information from the barbara ernie story was from an atlas obscura art atlas obscura has the best shit i love their yes. stuff so much by sabrina embler um, and then also an ancient-origins.net website. Yep. Still good. I don't think I have the author on that, but it's good. And then another Medium article. And then the contortion of thief information is just from the Associated Press and CBS News. It's just straight up a news article. So, Dang. You want to hide a little hide a little guy in a little bag and go rub it? I think, I mean, I support that type of theft like it makes sense with a small person obviously we can't trust the contortionists no. so no. 
I mean, they're carnies. We right? have contortionists are carnies. Yes. We have yeah. access to so many small children right now. It's true. And are any of them smart enough to follow that instruction? If you put we magnets on other out. people's stuff, yeah, we just have to put magnets on other people's shit. I we got one. Thanks for listening. We're back. Go listen to Pop Soup because I think by this point. We'll have, we'll have a couple ready. episodes. The soups up, soups, bitch. Soups on. <laughs> like that. See, now if they immediately go listen, they can like roll into it. It's like when they do that transition. Bet- sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Haley, I know you're loving this shit right here. So fucking close to quitting, isn't that? Haley? <laughs> Just... God damn it. I also like it because I could make that noise, but I don't want the robots to. Doing I want it. the robot to do it for me. All right. Well, see y'all next time. Goodbye. Oh, wait. Hold on. I want to see y'all next time. See? It's on a hot key. Get a live fart. No. Oh, shit. You <laughs> oh, fucked no. it up. Nobody's ever going to listen to this fucking podcast I again. Know.